Hi everyone. It's so lovely to be with you today to share with you from God's Word. My name is Viv and I'm the Assistant Minister here at St Mark's. Today I'm continuing our series on people of the Spirit as we look through and continue looking through the book of Acts. And today we heard in our reading that it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. That is, Christ's ones, people who belong to Christ, people who adhere to Christ, people who are inherently identified with Christ, people through whom Jesus is recognised and known. So as we start thinking about that, I want us to consider what our world thinks of Christians today. Or perhaps I should narrow that down a bit. What what do Australians think of Christians today? Is it a name that you feel proud to bear? Or is it a name that you feel that you have to justify with a disclaimer? I'm not that sort of a Christian. I'm more like this sort of a Christian. Or is it a name that you're actually not comfortable with? Like maybe that you'd not rather be known by, even though you might believe in Jesus. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we love Jesus Christ and we want to honour his name. But on the other hand, this name um, Christian has been dragged through the mud by people living not as Christ ones, but perhaps more like evil ones. And we want to distance ourselves from that sort of misrepresentation, don't we? And so we have a tough task of reclaiming the name Christian and of repairing the reputation of Christians, at least to the majority of Australians. But here in this passage where the name Christian was first given, we have an incredible example to go back to and to relearn from. And just as we will see in the church at Antioch, that it was God just doing his thing and the church just needing to keep up. So too, we can be encouraged that in our context today, God's still doing his thing. He hasn't stopped working. The fingerprints of his grace are all around us. We've just got to learn to see them and keep up. So today I want to focus on what the Spirit was doing through his people in Antioch for this name Christian to be given to Jesus' followers so that we too can be encouraged to live as Christ's ones today. So as we get to that, let's just recap what's going on in this story. In case you missed the last two weeks, Peter, the disciple come apostle, was now uh, was guided by the Holy Spirit to have an incredible encounter with this man called Cornelius, whose household hears the message of Jesus and of salvation through Jesus. Um, and they accept that message. They accept the good news. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, confirming them as believers and as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Then Peter goes back to Jerusalem and tells the church there about what God had done to bring salvation to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. And the church realises that God was working beyond racial and cultural barriers to graft people into his family, and that salvation wasn't exclusively for the Jews, but for the Gentiles and therefore the whole world too. And now we come to our passage in the second half of Acts 11, and we realise that Luke, the writer of this book of Acts, 
is telling us about what else has been happening while Peter's been having this experience with the Gentiles. And I really like what David highlighted last week, that the Holy Spirit is working in more than one place at one time. Here, we read of the Holy Spirit doing a whole lot of stuff through a whole lot of other people at the same time. And we read of the incredible ways that God's already bringing salvation to the Gentiles through all these other unnamed disciples. So if you've got your Bible, please read with me or um, I'll have the words up on the screen. So let's read from verse 19 of chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So remember back to Acts chapter 8, yes, Stephen was stoned for his faith and a severe persecution began against Jesus' followers and they were scattered all over the place. So those who had been scattered travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, maps are actually really helpful here because of all the names of these places. So let me show you this. Um, so here's, we see Jerusalem um, down here, and Joppa and Lydda and Caesarea, where the action was taking place in the last couple of chapters. So now here's Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, all the way up there, where some of the people went after the persecution in Jerusalem began. All these places are outside of what was once Israel's borders and were in the region of what would um, have been Syria. So remember back in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, we're already beyond Samaria and we're already in other nations. And we see these unnamed men. That's a point I'll come back to in a minute. These unnamed Jewish believers from Cyprus and Cyrene telling Greek people in Antioch about Jesus. And God, we see God blessing their witness and their indiscriminate compassion and bringing heaps of people to faith in Jesus. He's turning lives around through them. And then the church in Jer Jerusalem hears about it and wants to know more, so they send Barnabas to see what's happening. So Barnabas goes to Antioch and sees the mark of God's grace all over this new church. And seeing the opportunity and being guided by the Spirit, he also joins the ministry there. And in the second half of verse 24, it says again, And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas sees the growth and he knows that he could do with some help. So he goes to get Saul from Tarsus and they teach the church together in Antioch for a year. And again, we are told that a great number of people were taught by them. So God was blessing their ministry and building up his people in Antioch. And it was like this snowball effect that just kept growing and growing that as Jesus' disciples step into the opportunities God keeps bringing more and more people to know him and keeps blessing this community. And this section ends with this statement, it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Wow, what an exciting story of evangelism and church planning, of God pushing his church further out into the world, 
of God's kingdom breaking new ground for transformation through the power of the gospel. So as I mentioned, God was doing something in two different places at the same time, in Caesarea and in Antioch, to move his message of grace out into the whole world and to give the church no doubt of his will to save the whole world from its brokenness and to bring all people into his grace. So Luke, the writer of Acts, wants to make it super, super clear. The racial barrier to knowing God and being accepted by him was well and truly smashed. And as if we as readers didn't need more convincing after the repeated story of Peter and Cornelius. (laughs) So it's like actually like a triple validation that God's kingdom is for all people, that non-Jewish believers of Jesus also belonged in God's family. So we see that God is drawing people into his family and confirming the inclusion of Gentiles among his people. But he's also moving his family further out into the world. And in fact, he's now enabling his people, Christ's followers, to actually be distinguished from Judaism. See, their first being called Christians meant that this movement of Jesus' people is no longer considered a Jewish sect or a part of Judaism, but is recognized as its own separate movement, a separate way of life, of worship, of being that is distinctly different from Judaism, which is now grounded and centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. A new category of faith and lifestyle has been birthed. So to be clear, God was doing a new thing through the work of Jesus now living by his spirit in his people. These people who now bore the name of Christ's ones, Christians. Now, I think it's really cool, too, that it's through unnamed ordinary people that the name Christian is given, (laughs) that unnamed people are given the greatest name of all. I don't know if you've thought about it, but do you know the meaning of your own name and why you were given that name? Names are important, aren't they? Uh, Like, so when Jerome and I were expecting our twins, our first babies, we spent ages researching names, finding out their meanings, and then talking about possible options, then shortlisting our favorites, and then narrowing down even more to the ones we really, really liked. We thought a lot about it because we wanted our kids to have names that meant something. And that would come to give them some sense of meaning to their identity and even their destiny. And the reason I wanted my kids to have meaningful names was because I'd been given a very intentionally meaningful name. Now, when I was 13, I remember meeting a Christian woman who was also named Vivian. She was a very, very cool bikey chick that my dad knew through a bikey group called Christ Crusaders, um, which had a great outreach ministry to young people out in Gippsland in the 60s and 70s. And my dad came to know Jesus through them and then became a part of their group before he had us kids. Anyway, so we were at this bikey reunion with these Christ Crusaders and this bikey chick, this other woman, Vivian, she made a point of coming over to me and she said, do you know what your name means? And I guess in my, you know, shy sort of 13-year-old way, I kind of said, yeah, kind of, because I'm sure my parents had probably told me. But, (laughs) and she said, anyway, she said, looking at me really intently, she says, 
Your name means abundant life. Never forget, never forget it. Never forget what it means and always live up to it. Now, I've never forgotten that encounter and her charge that I live up to my name. And from that point in my life, the meaning of my name has powerfully shaped my life. It's caused me to dream big dreams and to have the courage to chase those dreams. It's given me the longing to live a a full and a fulfilled life. And it's given me a desire for others to live fulfilled lives as well. And it's meant that from quite a young age, I was thinking about the meaning and the purpose of my life and what it was that God had me here to do and orienting my whole life around that sense of purpose. (laughs) So names can be very, very powerful. Now, in this passage, we are told that we carry a name that surpasses our own personal name, a name that's got even greater meaning for our lives than the name our parents gave us. You see, these unnamed people who went to Antioch didn't care about their own reputations or making a name for themselves, but had a consuming regard for something greater, for the one name above all, Jesus Christ. And their identity was immersed in Jesus' love and gracious salvation. And their purpose, their lifestyle, their mode of being was all about responding to that love. So I want to unpack some key aspects of the Spirit's work through this community that showed the wonder and the beauty and the glory of Jesus' name. Because maybe this might help us reclaim the name Christian for ourselves in our society. So while I could say a lot from this passage, there's a couple of aspects of this community that I want to highlight and draw our attention to. So I've already briefly touched on their indiscriminate compassion. These believers from Cyprus and Cyrene are moved to share Jesus with Greeks also. They know that these Greek people also need to hear Jesus' message of salvation. Their eyes and their hearts were open to feel for a whole bunch of people who needed Jesus. And like Jesus, their compassion didn't discriminate, but led them to action. Secondly, we notice the organic nature of their mission and their expression. So what do I mean by this? Well, they didn't need permission to share Jesus with others and and just and do what was on their heart. They they just got on with it. The church at Antioch was birthed by everyday Christians seeing how God was already at work and joining him in it. And while it's not stated in the text, you can easily imagine the Holy Spirit giving them hearts that felt the need and saw the opportunity. So they stepped into it. They shared what Jesus had done in their, in their lives and what they had experienced and learnt about him. Sometimes It's so tempting to think that we need the church's pre-approval or commissioning before we step out into mission, or that we need a theology degree or experience at Bible college before we can really share effectively about Jesus with others. Well, no, if you've received Jesus and if you love Jesus, then you've got all that you need to tell others about him and to share about what he's done in your life. 
Jesus himself yeah, has authorized us to be his witnesses and to go and make disciples of all nations. We've been given the mandate from Jesus himself. And not everything has to be coordinated and programmed. And in fact, much of our witness as Christians happens through the unexpected opportunities and circumstances of our ordinary everyday lives. I mean, you just can't plan that. It just happens. It just springs forth and grows naturally from the life of the spirit within you. It's not artificially manufactured, but flows from our authentic relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's organic. So never underestimate the power of your own just getting on with it and expressing your faith naturally and authentically. Yes, of course, there will still be the need for organized and coordinated aspects of mission, but God moves through both the coordinated and the organic. So be looking for the needs and the opportunities that God's putting in front of you. What conversations is he opening up? What friendship do you sense that he might want to work through? And, and when we're able, once restrictions ease, how can you show people hospitality and express that you care and value these people? I want to encourage you today as individuals, couples, or as families, to think about what's something that's natural for you that you could do to bless others. Look for the grace of God at work in the lives of the people around you and bless what he's already doing. And I think we've got an incredible opportunity right now with limited capacity for organized groups and activities to grow in our expression of organic mission. Well, we also see that these first Christians were known for the grace of God among them. Let's read from verse 22. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. What does it mean that Barnabas saw the grace of God? Well, he saw people being touched and changed by God's unmerited grace and the good news of Jesus. He saw people not being judgmental towards one another but behaving graciously. He saw the whole community not living with division, but with a sense of oneness in recognition of their undeserved acceptance by God. And he saw a community living humbly under the awareness and the wonder of God's forgiveness and expressing dependence on that grace in everything that they did. Is the grace of God seen in our lives and in our church community? When we worship, when we interact with each other, when we serve our community, can the grace of God be seen? Does it permeate our life together? And finally, these Christians were known for their generous lives. Look at verses 28 to 30. It says, Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. These Gentile Christians gave generously, as each was able, 
to support the Jewish Christians in Judea. I love how it gives us a sense that these mostly Gentile Christians in Antioch considered the Jewish Christians as family, as brothers and sisters, and how these Christians in Antioch weren't just concerned about their own church and their own needs, but were willing and responsive to come to the aid of other churches and other Christian communities. The Christians in Antioch understood that they were a part of a church, a movement that was way bigger than themselves. And they kept that perspective through giving generously beyond their own community. So how are you doing at blessing the wider church? Is there a way that you can give financially to support the global church? Maybe it's by supporting Christian relief organisations or supporting organisations who work with and bless the persecuted church. Or by partnering with Christian organisations like the International Justice Mission or Compassion or Mukti and there's so many others that are seeking to address serious social and economic injustice and inequality in our world in the name of Jesus. And you know, you don't have to have money to be generous as well, by the way. Uh, You can be generous in your prayers, in your time, by writing emails of support and encouragement to missionaries that we partner with, or people in prison, or sponsor children. You can be generous by being available in a whole lot of ways that people who, maybe people who work um, full-time might actually struggle to be able to. You know, because our generosity towards others testifies of the generosity that we've received from Jesus. So all these ways that the Spirit moved through the first Christians to show Jesus are so awesome, aren't they? Indiscriminate compassion, organic mission, the permeation of the grace of God, and this broad generosity. You know, if we feel that the work of reclaiming the name Christian is a massive task and an overwhelming task, then we can be encouraged by this wonderful example. It was clear that the Christians in Antioch belonged to Jesus, that they were Christ's ones. The glory and the grace and the power of Jesus' name was ingrained into the essence of their church community and expressed through their everyday organic actions and words, their compassion, their graciousness towards one another, and their generosity. I want us to be a church like that too. I want us to be a church that points people to Jesus and makes people fall in love with him by the very nature of who we are. That what people see of us and hear of us makes them want to be Christians too. And, you know, this is all the work of the Spirit. We can't be Christ's ones, Christians, without Christ working in and through us by his Spirit. We can't be Christ's ones if we're not people of the Spirit. We're both. Without the Spirit of Jesus reminding us of his teaching, prompting us by his character, and moving in us by the revelation of his heart for this world. Yeah. That's how we are to be Christians. And I know it's probably tempting to think that there's enough to deal with at the moment with 
the pandemic and lockdown and, and all the difficulties that come with that. But these Christians who went to Antioch, they were in a tough spot as well. They were fleeing persecution. Yet in the midst of that upheaval and that trial and that uncertainty, they saw God at work and they just went with it. So too for us, God hasn't stopped working. In the midst of what's happening for us in this pandemic, in this lockdown, in this uncertainty and in this isolation, is there something that God is doing? that we should be noticing and getting excited about and jumping into. Friends, let's not be overwhelmed by the task of reclaiming and living up to the name Christian, but let's rely and draw on the spirit of Jesus already at work in us, already alive in us. Let's live oriented towards Jesus, the one who we love to belong to. And he'll make sure others see it and see him.